This is the Serial and Midnight Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Serial at Midnight Podcast. My name is Heath Holland. And this week I'm talking to Ralph Tribby, the founder, the maestro behind DVD and Blu-ray Release Reports, which you can find at DVD and Blu-ray Release Report.com. Ralph is, he's been chronicling the numbers, the trends in physical media since the launch of the DVD format back in 1997. But he goes back further than that. He started in the theatrical business, running theaters. He opened the second ever video store in the San Diego area and then went on to become an executive uh, working in sales and marketing at Key Video and at companies like MGM, United Artists. This man has so much knowledge about basically the entire history of home video as we know it. Uh, And so what we're going to get into here is really a lot of data that comes from DVD and Blu-ray release report. We're talking about how much uh, product is actually being released. You know, I talk constantly here about how there's never been more released. That's not just me saying this. Did you know that 2023 may very well be a record-breaking year for the number of titles on physical media? There's so much to unpack here, so much information. So I'm just going to cut right to it. Without further ado, uh, Ralph Tribby from DVD and Blu-ray release reports. This many movies behind you and with you dedicating so much of your time to movies, do you still have time to watch stuff? Oh, yeah. Every night we make time. Uh, I'm actually writing, uh, well, writing, working on a, uh, on a book because um, I, I'm a big genre fan. So um, I'm working on a book for me, and I don't care if anybody ever reads it, uh, <laughs> on the chronological history of horror sci-fi and fantasy beginning in literally january 1st 1950 by decade and um, uh the newspaper archives that you can you can subscribe to Mm -hmm. i I, it's just i i i can get lost for hours just looking at the old movie ads and stuff like that and a lot of that had to do with when i was a kid beginning when i was eight years old my mom and dad would pack me up and send me into my grandmother's for three weeks during the summer, she ran a rooming house over by MacArthur Park. I used to go over to the, uh, they had three theaters and she ran a rooming house and um, she would give me a couple of bucks and, you know, when my chores were done and send me off to the movies. An eight year old kid wandering the streets of Los Angeles. So they had the lake, the West Lake and the Alvarado. And now the lake and the West, the lake was a grindhouse that would run two or three features and change twice a week. And the Alvarado and the Westlake were both first run theaters. So during um, a three week stay, I could I could book twenty to twenty four films, and uh, I just fell in love with that. So I uh, hold on, you were going to a grindhouse at eight years old. Yes. Wow. <laughs> was it safe? I mean, were you safe? Yeah, it was. I never thought anything of it. I wouldn't go there now. God right. Almighty. It's a MacArthur Park's turned into kind of a, a, a derelict haven. What kind of they movies were you seeing? Little boats on the thing. Yeah. What kind of movies were you seeing at this time? Whatever was playing. Now, I, I really like the action stuff and any kind of horror sci fi film, you know. Mm-hmm. But you've, a, a film like Cell 2455 Death Row, uh, 
I was fascinated with that. I was going like, wow, that's that's kind of interesting. It didn't seem very fair to him, Carl Chessman, but uh, um, whatever it was a musical, I'd see a musical, whatever it was. I, but I really liked the sci-fi and the horror. And uh, this entire library back here is a chronological order of films, horror films, sci-fi films from 1915. It runs all the way around over to here. Um, I could sit there and watch them for hours. But I mean, my wife goes nuts. She says, well, we're not going to watch this stupid blah movie again, are we? <laughs> so <it's... laughs> are you anyway. frustrated that uh, Susan Hart or whatever her last, I can't remember her current last name, that she's got these movies, these AIP movies that are still being held hostage? I know, but I, I've got bootleg copies of them. Um, yeah. yeah. That uh, I was a teenage werewolf and, and uh, I was uh, 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 monster on cap, you know, that stuff. Right. Um, it, it's unfortunate. And it's, the problem when you don't release stuff like that, the, the, what I, I call them helpers will step in and, t and take care of that void. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing that on steroids these days. Yeah. Well, I want to talk to you about that. Uh, but okay. But so as far as, as far as what I've done to get here, I know you had a video. So you were one of the first video stores. It was at San Diego. That you yeah. San Diego. Store? Yeah. Um, well, my background is first, uh, I got a degree in economics from Chapman University, uh, postgraduate work at UNLV, first job out of uh, out of college, real job, uh, was um, as a business analyst, financial analyst for Dun & Bradstreet. And they kept giving me raises and, and uh, promoting me, and I hated it. I just absolutely hated it. So I interviewed with every Southern California theater chain and none of them would hire me. And finally, this guy named Jules Pincus, who's the regional manager for Lowe's Theater said, nobody's gonna hire you because they're afraid you'll take their job. And I said, well, I just wanna learn the business. So finally he relented and, and hired me as a as a uh, uh, assistant manager of the Lowe's Theater in Sine, uh, the Sine in Inglewood. So I gave myself, he said, I gave myself a year to learn the yeah. business from the ground up. Along the way, I met a guy named Steve Lane. Now you may be familiar with him when I say Howling, Howling 2, Howling 3, Howling 4. He did all the Howling movies. He did Dean Koontz's uh, Phantoms. Uh, he did the two uh, Lawnmower Man films. Uh, he was the head film buyer at National Cinema at the time. And uh, he, uh, we got to talking and um, literally one year from the date that I started at Lowe's, I was vice president of operations for his new newly formed theater company, Great Western Theaters. We were extremely successful, so much so that Man Theaters and United Artists came in and built uh, multiplexes against me. And uh, next to the, uh, the, the Strand Theater, in Ocean Beach, California, uh, we opened up the second video store in all of San Diego County. And I got a little, a little prop here. It was the, uh, it was the videotape center. And for five dollars a night, a bargain price, you could rent any kind of movie you wanted. The money maker was the first run theater that I had here in town, and we could see Steve. Steve came down. We talked about it. We, we we could see that we were going to have a problem making 
making money because the, the whole industry's fixed. Our lease was coming up and we wanted to renegotiate it. And so the owner of the strip mall, they owned the theater, was none other than Bill Cagney, Jimmy Cagney's brother. So him and his attorney walk into Love's Barbecue. Uh, Steve and I sit down. And I was out of the theater business five minutes later when uh, Mr. Cagney said, well, I'm raising the rent. And not only that, I want a piece of the concession sales. And if you've ever been in the theater business, you don't make any money showing movies. You make all your money selling popcorn, hot dogs, Cokes, candy. So 10 years of running theaters uh, <laughs> ended in a five-minute conversation with, with Bill Cagney. Never had lunch with him. Wow. Uh, so I took the uh, the inventory with uh, Videotape Center, and uh, I had met Jim Long, who had founded Video Crossroads International. His son-in-law was Gary Carter. And if you're a baseball fan, uh, he was a Hall of Fame catcher with the New York Mets. At the time, he was with the Montreal Expos. And he uh, had founded these, uh, had founded the Orange County video stores, uh, which is important. His thing was he was going to franchise. He had, had Ray Kroc's Grinding It Out book. And he had financial backing. And so we had like 30 franchises. Here's another, another prop I'll show you. What we were doing, what I was doing for, the, for all our franchises was this. It was a, it was a poster newsletter. And it folded out to a poster and it had all these uh, reviews. So if you're a consumer, you walk in and you see this. Every movie here and every movie that ever appeared in this publication is the greatest movie that was ever made. So you need to get this. You need to rent this. So uh, the franchises were all still in business. So I started doing, I just did the newsletters for them. Um, and, um, to make a long story short, I ended up over the years building this up to a hundred thousand newsletters a month. It was a nice little business. Herb sold major video concepts, uh, after a while with, uh, Sounds Video Unlimited, which was another big distributor at the time. Um, he got an offer to be uh, president of Key Video, which was owned by 20th Century Fox in partnership with CBS. Mm -hmm. And he hired me to do the marketing. So I've got complete comp launch to do whatever we want. So for the first year, we were budgeted for a million and a half. We did eight. The next year, we were budgeted for eight. We did 16. And our third year in business, we were budgeted for 16. They just kept whatever the number was before. We did 32. And then at that point, CVS uh, and, and Fox, I guess, parted ways, and they decided to relocate from New York out to California, and Herb was basically written out of the business. And about a year later, MGM did the same thing. They moved their operation from New York out to the West Coast. They hired Bud O'Shea from CBS Fox to be the president. Bud turned around and immediately hired Herb to be senior vice president of sales and marketing. And guess who got to be head of marketing for MGM? I just now I'm I'm running a studio. I got 26 people working for me, and uh, 
we we did everything. I mean, uh, I did that for four years until Kokorian, you probably know the history, sold the company to an Italian waiter, had no money. And uh, did a lot of consulting after that. Uh, ended up at, at Orion uh, Pictures, uh, consulting there. Had it in my own office and everything. Was working for uh, Len White, who was, his only job was to sell the company. Um, and it was at that time I was sitting down with Bud O'Shea, my former boss from MGM, and we were talking about this new thing coming in called DVD. Mm -hmm. And uh, I reasoned that there's probably a business there if you just reported on what was being released on DVD. So I started the DVD release report, and I've been doing that for the last 27 years. It was in 97, right? 19, yep. uh, March, yep. March 97. March 97, yeah. yeah. You've set up so many things here. Well, the first thing I want to ask you, so I remember, what, so I was... I've been buying my movies for over 30 years now, you know, mm -hmm. going back to the v, to the VH. Like my dad, we were one of the first people in our neighborhood that had a Betamax player in the <laughs> eight, like the mid 80s. Right. And so we would go. There was a store in the mall that had beta stuff. And we had we had Swiss Family Robinson from Disney. And we had uh, we had I think we had Star Trek, the motion picture. Um, so I've been around media for my whole life. But when I started buying my own movies, it's been over 30 years. I remember a palpable excitement when DVD entered onto the oh, scene yeah. and it felt like this is like bringing the cinema home, right? This is like bringing that cinematic big screen experience into your home. Uh, I wanted to, you felt that too from the other. Well, it, was the a, it was a game changer because remember I'm, I'm, I'm coming from the VHS world. I mean, right. we would sell a video cassette, the wholesale price would be 4250 that was the wholesale price. It's well, you got to translate that to, to inflation too. That's a lot of money. That's oh yeah, that would be like ninety bucks it was, or something. It was, it was the rental business, and right. we uh, we did um, just a tonnage of this stuff. But the moment I saw a DVD, I mean, literally, Bud had some of the first stuff delivered to him at at his office in in, in at, at Orion Pictures. And we, we put one of these things on and is a game changer. I mean, yeah. the difference between VHS and DVD uh, is, was just off the charts. And you knew that it was, that was going to be the, the future, which is one of the things that, that gets crazy is that back when it was really firing away, once they, once they got it, it, it down from being three to five dollars to replicate a disc down to 30 cents mm -hmm. and, and the whole business took off the the joke was the only the only business on the planet that had better profit margins was uh cocaine dealers <laughs> and they've literally taken this business model and and just tossed it aside the other thing that goes hand in hand with that is the studios and Warner Brothers and Disney are making a show of celebrating their 100th year in the in the business. Mm -hmm. uh, they spent a hundred years building a, this mousetrap of theatrical distribution. And if you take '97 when DVD launched, I made that the demarcation point for new theatrical and theatrical catalog. And the reason for that was so I could monitor 
the window, how long it took from a film to open theatrically till it hit uh, DVD. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're, they're all the same. It's, all, it's still movies, but right. if you just look at new theatrical, over 99% of all films released since 1997 theatrically that have grossed $25 million or more are all from the studios. And now you're taking films like uh, Artemis Fowl, this, this latest thing, $125 million film, you take it direct, you don't even put it in the theaters, and you, t- you take it direct to streaming, and then you write it off. It's crazy. Uh, th- that's insane. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. That's insane. I, I keep thinking maybe there's something I don't know, you know, like, well, maybe exactly. there's something they're not you know, telling. That, that's exactly what I'm thinking. It's like, there, I must be missing something. It must be an accounting thing. Yeah. This, this makes all the good sense in the world, except last year, the, the, the studios lost $800 million a month on average from their streaming business. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if Evans was running Paramount and he lost $5 million on a film, his job was in jeopardy. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't understand. <laughs> anyway. I guess uh, when you're making... Got off when here. you're making billions in other areas, I, I, I guess, you know, they're competing. All these studios are competing to have the primary streaming service. And I guess in the grand scheme of these billion dollar budgets or whatever, they're like, well, we can afford that loss for now. But well, if you look at the cash flow for 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 Comcast Universal and Viacom Paramount, they're running some cash flow issues that are eventually going to have to bring some rational discussion. See, like Sony Pictures, for example, that doesn't do this. They they simply take their films, put them theatrically, put them on DVD, uh, Blu-ray, 4K, mm-hmm. and license them either to Netflix or Amazon Prime. They're not in the, the business of, we're going to s- see how, how how streaming works out and lose how much money we can in the meantime. So I, I suspect that, and I'm just guessing, but I'm, I suspect that we're going to see that that shift come into play at the studio level for some of these that are going like, well, maybe we, maybe we should go back to the, the promo better best way of delivering product to the consumer, as opposed to just running a theater and not selling any popcorn. I mean, mm-hmm. that that's the, the analogy is that they're just doing one thing and they're losing money at it. And that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Well, did you see this news uh, at, as I'm as we're recording this in the last 24 hours or so, the news has come out that the French Connection. Oh has, God, yeah, that's, that's insane. I tweeted about it. My tweet has like it's over five million. It's been seen over five million times as in that's, in a day. That's criminal. People are furious about it, and it's a, it's an example of Disney, I guess thinking. I mean, I don't want to assume, but it seems like they think, well, we can have our cake and we can eat it too. We own this asset. We can censor it. We can edit it. We don't have to tell anybody. It's our plat, you know. Well, it's not just their platform because it's on the Criterion Channel and the theatrical prints that are going out have been edited. And so people say, "Well, physical media is the answer, right?" But the next pressing of the French Connection is probably going to have that edit on it, right? So I got my French Connection bit. Yeah, squirreled away over there. Yeah, um, me too. When when I saw that, it it I, I immediately thought back a couple of weeks ago. Spielberg did a 
uh, in an interview where he was talking about some edits were made to E.T. Yeah. And I think that kind of foreshadowed what what's might be taking place. He may be privy to some internal conversations about they're going they're going to get. French connection may be just the tip of the iceberg of what might be to come. And, and that's just terrifying because in, yeah. in the publishing business, we're seeing uh, books literally being rewritten, uh, which which uh, I have a problem with. Um, yeah. But that's just maybe that's just me. Uh, it's not just you. It's me, too. And we're both physical media advocates and physical media fans. I mean, you've dedicated most of your life, you know, to, to this book that we're talking about here. But I think this issue is bigger than physical media because it, it goes to the very creation of the art itself and the people that are distributing the art wanting to control what it actually says. And I don't think you can do that. I, well, they are doing it, but I don't think you can ethically do that. And I think that people are starting to realize, hey, wait a minute, these companies are doing they're overstepping. Where it goes from here, I don't know. Well, it, yeah, it, it's, it's a, like they say, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. But they're not seeing, they're not seeing the, the, what the market really looks like. They're just seeing it from their little corner of the world. And if you look at it from a studio uh, point of view, it, it looks like, well, we're not in the DVD business anymore because that's, so old and we, we do blue, we do some blu-rays but we're really kind of focused on 4k and then we're also focused on these other things streaming mm -hmm. uh at, at being studio centric myself having worked for three different studios uh i i sort of saw the the business that way too um uh, I, i'm impressed with what a lot of the what what do you call them boutique uh yeah, are doing, boutique labels. They're right. basically doing the studio's job uh, mm -hmm. because the studios are lazy. So, <laughs> from from MVD and Arrow and and Severin and and Kino Lorber and Shout, Shout Factory and mm -hmm. uh, Mill Creek and and Bayview's doing all sorts of stuff. Um, there, the there's where sort of the action is that we see. But then you you get into uh, what's what's left over. Uh, give me an example. Um, DVD, just DVD. This is through li literally May thirty first. Uh, the studios and their affiliates, like uh, CBS, Home Entertainment, uh, Showtime, uh, put out one hundred sixty five. DVDs during the first five months of the year. So that looks like a nothing business to them. Mm -hmm. During the same time, the entire industry put out 13,339. So they had 1.24% of the share. All these boutique labels that we, we are very familiar with and that where we enjoy what they're doing, they put out 11% of the the, the release pie, they put out 1,493 DVD titles during the first uh, part of the year. And, mm -hmm. and some of those legit sources aren't, don't have anything to do with making movies. They, they, they're like uh, religion, uh, uh, 
how to just stuff like that yeah. uh, the then there's these two other great areas and what will put piracy off to up okay. to the side but there's another one that i just found absolutely fascinating and i stumbled upon it about 12 or 15 years ago when i came across pcn productions and i thought pcn production was a, a pbs affiliate there, there's a, about a half a dozen or so that kind of operate within the pbs family but they're they, they do their own thing so i just kind of chalked them up as, as another PBS kind of thing uh, until I began to see more and more of this. And there's two areas that they're basically micro broadcasters, a cable access, TV access. Uh, there, there's probably 200, 250 of these self-contained um, television networks that, are, that operate at, at the local level mm -hmm. um and they discovered a market and and think about it the, the local high school basketball game or friday night football or the girls lacrosse and in some areas girls hockey uh game's going to get played anyway i mean every day there's some high school sporting event when when the schools are in why not take a camera down there and broadcast it on your local broadcast network? And then they discovered, well, we've got the tape. It didn't cost us anything. Why not make a DVD and see if anybody would buy it? Uh, another area where they make some money is they go down to the local commencement exercise. High school, everybody graduates. They, they record the hour and a half mm -hmm. of people walking across the stage. Um, the local fifth grade middle school has a, a, a spring concert. They record it. Um, the city council has a meeting. They record it. And so these numbers this, oh, are reported that you're able to find the numbers of these uh, things? Uh, once you know where to look. Okay. So, for example, in the, just the first five months of this year, they put out 2,510 titles in a in a in a market that you don't even know exists they do more than all the boutiques and the studios combined in just terms of output now revenue wise it, it's a whole different game uh -huh. but you have to assume the following either these are independently wealthy people that don't care if they make money or not that just love doing this so they do it over and over again to lose money it's like citizen kane or he's going to lose a million dollars a year running the newspaper, but he doesn't care. Right. Uh, or they're making money at it. And if you look at the trend lines, they keep putting more and more of this stuff out. So they're, they must be making money at it. They're not making a lot of money, but if you're running a micro broadcast network, every little bit helps the local advertising, the local DVD sales, the other stuff you do. Then they've discovered something that the pirates have also discovered. When Blu-ray was launched in 2006, it was for higher definition, more quality stuff. It was marginally better. If, if VHS to DVD was 90-10, uh, DVD to Blu-ray was 95 to 90. So 
Um, it was marginally better, um, but you have more bandwidth. You could do more things. Mm-hmm. Well, they've discovered that we don't care about the HD part of it. We care about we care about the bandwidth. We've got more room. So yeah. the, the pirates, what they're doing is they'll take a, an eight or ten season or eight eight or ten episode season, complete season, like Yellowstone, and dump it on one Blu-ray disc. Just jam it in there. Well, the, the these micro broadcasters figure the exact same thing out. If you have a, a football game that runs 180 minutes, getting it on DVD is a bit of a problem. But on Blu-ray, psh, not, not a problem at all. Mm-hmm. So when you look at the Blu-ray market to date, we put out 3,462 Blu-ray titles that I've documented through the first five months. The studios have put out 162 of that. That's 4.8%. I mean, wow. they're, it's their business, and yet they only contribute less than 5% of the release pie. Um, the legitimate guys, the, the all the boutique labels, produce another 20.5% or 712 titles. But these little micro-broadcasters are putting out 400, put out 410 Blu-rays in the first five months of the year, which is more than twice what the studios are doing yeah then you've got the big the big chunk and here we go (laughs) you'll get yeah you'll get back to why some of what the studios are doing right now seems completely irrational but in a certain sense it makes sense why they're not chasing all these helpers not playing whack-a-mole um if you're willing to write off um Timmy Failure, the $42 million production, uh, uh, McCarthy's uh, movie. Um, Why would you care if somebody's putting out Mandalorian on Blu-ray? Yeah. I mean, if if you're taking those kind of hits, do you really care if somebody's selling 10,000 copies from different sources of, of Mandalorian, especially if you have shown no interest in and putting an ear out on, on on Blu-ray yourself. <clears throat> the these I, I I use the word helper. The why do you, why helper. do you use that word helper? Yeah, because I got to say, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, literally the uh, I was appointed by Bud O'Shea to to go sit with all the other studios to talk about piracy back in the VHS days. And uh, we were we worked with the FBI. You know, we had sent out we had a, we had a business affair guy, Ron Mealy. Ron Mealy was sending out cease and desist letters all the time. You just wonder if if it's if it's kind of like, well, there, you, contemporaries are sitting around uh, a staff meeting and the subject of piracy comes up because they're not stupid. They're not oblivious to the fact that they're they're being ripped off. Yeah, and they go well. Well, let's put a pencil to that. What do you think they're stealing? Well, they're stealing twenty, thirty thousand dollars a month from us. Well, how much is it going to cost us in staff and uh, outside legal counsel to send out all this? And aren't we just playing whack-a-mole? Because as soon as you shut down one, there'll just be another one pop up. I mean, the internet's just full of this stuff. Um, so it's it's probably just a business decision. It's about opportunity costs. It's mm-hmm. about uh, is it worth the effort? 
Um, and judging, I, I think these helpers and void fillers have kind of figured that dynamic out because we're seeing, to give you an example, from in 2005, 2006, when DVD peaked, that's when the, the peak year, when, when Blu-ray came in, we were looking at 15,000 titles a year. And then it kind of drifted off 11,000, 12,000, 13,000. When the pandemic hit, instead of it just dropping to zero, it went up. Suddenly we did 16,000. And then last year we did 22,000. That's these are numbers I've never seen before. Right. Well, the first five months of this year, we've done 13,339 titles. If you do the math, you're tracking at 30,000 DVD releases over the course of a year. Wow. 68% of that is coming from the, the underground. This, and the reason they focus on DVD is because it's backwards compatible. Mm -hmm. Most of your movies will run under 120 minutes. If you have to do something longer, if you're going to pirate a brand new theatrical film that's running 148 minutes, you go to Blu-ray. It's no big deal. We can burn those too. And I'm even seeing this in the last 18 months, we're now seeing 4K being burned and, and being distributed. Although I, I question how much time and effort's gone into the actual uh, post work on, on some of right. these. But yeah, <clears throat> selling those 4K and the consumer probably can't tell the difference yeah most people won't notice or care all right so the just in the first five months of this year 66 different helpers that i'm tracking on in the dvd arena have, have produced have sent out over 9100 dvds and when you break it down it's not that they're all just pirating movies they'll pirate anything that's that that's that they can lay their hands on um literally 4800 of these Pirated titles are um, theatrical catalog. That's 90, 1996 to uh, the jazz singer, sound era films. Um, they like music too. They have almost a thousand music titles because really? EMI, Sony Music, uh, Uni Music, uh, WIA, they're just Eagle Rock. I mean, Eagle Rock. Uh, used to just put out some really great stuff they don't do anything anymore right they've just really given up yeah and so, so the you're talking about music like a video format of music yeah like whether it's a concert or, yeah, okay. or a, a you know like all the great alba's greatest hits uh yeah uh, joel's greatest hits that kind of stuff um they just don't do it anymore right. i mean it, it's far and few between you got the, the gaither brothers with, over at um universal music yeah their concerts and that's about it i mean it's yeah. it's really slim pickings um do you know that it's, it's, i, I want to ask you a question yeah. really quick time life has been a giant in what we're talking about music related content yeah. they they're they seem to be i don't know if they're going under or what but i've noticed some uh well when this it, it comes he's it comes down to this if the studios won't enforce copyright protections then how is like a kit parker or uh or uh or uh um any of these other independents that are trying to do good things going to 
going to exist when the consumer doesn't know the difference between this and that. And they're, they're, getting, they're getting absolutely body slammed by the indifference from the studios these days. And, it's, it, and it becomes a, par, a, a marketplace where, where legitimate people are being driven out. I wanted to show you, this is the time life. I would try to go to timelife.com. It's not there anymore. It's no, gone. It's gone, huh? Okay. It's gone. Well, they, so they, <clears throat> what's that? Somebody will fill that void. Yeah. It's just crazy because, you know, they were about as, there may have been somebody that was bigger than them as far, but I mean, I think of all the infomercials. I think of the, I mean, I've got time life stuff all over the place. The Ed Sullivan classics and the, you know, the midnight special, I believe they put out a box set of, uh, you know, all kinds of different things. And now just to think that I, I guess they're still in stores or, I mean, I don't know, but you, so let me ask you this. So with this changing landscape of the first question I should have asked you is what you hit on with the number of physical media releases coming out. Cause people go physical media is dead. I mean, every day, just about well, no, every day, someone says physical media is dead. Right. But it's not. Um, well, on Blu-ray, for example, uh, we peak out around 3000 titles a year um, with uh, all these streaming programs um, that are, are available. The, 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 the Blu-ray helpers have just descended upon the market mm -hmm. for the first five months. We've got 3,400 titles already released on blu-ray and if you you we're, we're tracking at seven thousand titles to be released on blu-ray i i just I, it it's hard to keep up with it's happening so fast tell me about it i because i'm reviewing these things so i told you when i emailed you i was like i'm reviewing you know you've been here since the beginning of the dvd format i've been reviewing here at my channel uh for, for since 2017 and every year i say well, that was crazy. This next year can't be as busy as the previous year. And then it somehow manages to be even bigger. Well, uh, we're only, you know, in the Blu-ray market, for example, <clears throat> what we see being studio centric is 25% of what's being released. Right. There's 75% that's happening elsewhere. Now, the cons because it, any consumer can get on the internet, uh, you know, the shopping malls are empty. They're all at Amazon. Right, but once they find that Amazon isn't selling them anything that they want, they'll go look elsewhere. Um, there's this, there's this. If you if you want to see a real uh, flea market of piracy, uh, log on to Etsy. Oh yeah, Etsy, Etsy used to be this artisans' uh, place where the artisans could go and sell their little crafts and stuff. Well. It didn't take long for the uh, the helpers to figure out that eBay was so yesterday, and that Etsy is the, the current place where you can go. And it it just it comes crazy. Now, I what I don't chase down is these phantom uh, uh, honey pots from China and Sri Lanka and all this. I'm just looking at domestic, where mm -hmm. I can document a domestic terrorist and just go after them and fortunately both ebay and and etsy will give you who they're where they're located so yeah. i document those now there's three companies and I, I won't get into who they are but there's three companies 
that have HTTP sites that all have suspiciously the same mailing location. So <laughs> there are yeah. a, a, a drop location on Ventura Boulevard out in Tarzana, California. So I suspect that they're all they're all the same people, mm -hmm. and they just they did just moving the stuff around to kind of um, it, the smart ones that have been at it for a while will mix in a public domain. I mean, if you go over to this this Elvis uh, collector site uh they'll mix in a lot of public domain and then all of a sudden they'll just go a swarm of clearly copyrighted films but nobody nobody cares nobody goes after them the studios are so intent on streaming these days that this especially when they see the market is non-existing so it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy and uh Somebody's making money and, and it's very out of control. If if the studio, this is, I'm going to field you a tough question and you don't have to answer, but I'm curious what you think. If the studios don't care about this, the piracy, about the helpers, should we as the customers, if, is, if, if I can't get one of the AIP movies that Susan Hart is holding hostage, should I care if I go bootleg that? Well, yeah, yeah, well, I'll give you, I'll give you some quick examples. Consumers will not wait around forever. Right. Coda wins best picture. It is not available le legitimately anywhere. Apple T Apple Plus has decided they're not going to release it. And I would keep hoping for Criterion to pick it up and 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 you know license it or or somebody license it, but they haven't put it out. So you can buy Coda uh, uh, at a dozen different places now. Mm -hmm. uh, Disney. Is, is so mystifying to me. You've got, you spent all this money buying the Fox library and you have um, the movie Prey. The Prey is a logical extension of the Predator and Alien conglomeration. Yeah. Why that's now, to, why they haven't put it out on Blu-ray just, just to offer, offer it to the fans makes no sense at all. Why is Mandalorian? Why are why is Andor? Why are all these uh, Star Wars spinoffs? None of them are available from Disney. Mm -hmm. I mean, Disney put out like six DVDs in the first five months of this year, and like five Blu-rays. It's like they're not even in the business anymore, and they may be only putting this stuff out because maybe they're under contract to put out stuff on physical media, but. They've got stuffed in their library. They bought the whole entire Fox library and they have done nothing with it. That's what I wanted to say. They buy Fox and then they're like, okay, and now it's all out of print. I mean, not all of it, but a lot of it went out of print when they bought Fox. Yes. And now there is that Mill Creek deal that was announced. I don't think we've actually seen the fruits of that yet, but they, the Mill Creek Entertainment has a deal with Disney to redistribute some titles that have gone out of print. So that's a step right. forward. But it's still just a drop in the bucket because we're talking about, I mean, it's thousands of movies that sure. would sell. And it seems like they just, I, I don't know. Somebody told me that, I mean, it's just speculation, but they're, they're probably restructuring and figure out, figuring out what the best strategy forward to monetize that catalog would be. But it's been years now. What, yeah. what are they waiting on? You know? Uh, I don't get to sit in on these meetings. All I can do is look at what the trends are. Right. And the, the, the certain individuals, we'll call them helpers, the pirates, 
void fillers uh, have collectively arrived at the same conclusion that the studio's focus is elsewhere. And they're going to make money while the hay shine, you know, while the sun shines. Mm -hmm. And uh, they do it in ever increasing numbers. And if, if any of them disappear, get knocked down, get told to cease and desist, they just pop up again. I'll see literally, uh, I don't know if I should mention, <laughs> mention names, but, but one of the most egregious Blu-ray pirates uh, went down in 20, at the end of 2021 uh, and was gone for a little bit and then popped up again at first part of 2022 under a different trade style. And magically, all of the titles they had released before Plus, everything since then um, have uh, magically reappeared. Now, I just, I didn't, I eliminated all the duplicates because I know who's doing it. Mm -hmm. uh, but literally every week, they will take uh, what's ever being dumped that week by whatever streaming platform, and they will have it, uh, if it's a movie, within hours after its premiere. That's how good they are. I mean, they are. Uh, I almost hate to say it, but you have to admire how 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 they've got this down to a science. Yeah. And they have a loyal customer base that see them as being legitimate source. And uh, you need a copy of uh, the Princess, uh, which I, I guess Disney dumped twenty six million dollars in. They were running all across the banner of the Internet Movie Database there for like three weeks in a row. Every time you opened up the Internet Movie Database, there was an ad for the Princess, the Princess, the Princess. Um, bypass theaters went right to streaming and now they're writing it off but if you need it on blu-ray it's there mm -hmm. all right as we wind down i want to ask you about what you think the future holds i guess i'm curious also not just for discs or home media but also how do you think this streaming this great streaming experiment is going to conclude what direction are we going with this it seems like it's unsustainable right it is you 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 can't have all these different streaming platforms it has to be consolidation at some mm -hmm. point um i suspect the warner brothers and and disney seem to be the ones that are trying to position themselves to replace netflix i'm not quite so sure that that they'll accomplish their goal although warner brothers seems to be the better organized right now. I mean, uh, it was funny, Zaslav, the, the the new CEO of this Warner Brothers Discovery thing, he kind of let the cat out of the barn or the monkey out of the pin uh, a couple of months ago when he said that, just in a candid interview, he said that 60% 60, 60 of everything on HBO Max, nobody's watching. And that kind of tells you about why there's a right a, a, a writer strike is because mm -hmm. they're, they're like uh brer fox and 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 brer bear throwing uh brer rabbit in the in the briar patch uh please don't if you don't please help us uh stop doing the things we're doing <laughs> yeah. um so they, they they put mountains and mountains of uh of these uh multi-million dollar productions whether it's a strip series or a film 
in, into their series, in, into their streaming platform, just spending money to like a drunken sailor and, and 60% of it, no one's watching. And you know, what's crazy about that is that Warner Brothers has this massive library. Oh, um, yes. Ma- one of the biggest libraries, right? Because they have all these other companies that are, that they've purchased or that are part yes. of the, part of the portfolio. You can't find a lot of it. They, you know, Warner Archive releases four a two month. or three blu-rays a month yeah if they put some of those on max and they put some of them on max but if you like hey max has 500 cla- like a whole vault of classics from the warner brothers library i wonder if that would be a draw or if it's if like people just don't care i don't well, know they just figured it'll be pirated <laughs> yeah no um when when just kind of the inside baseball thing when warner brothers retired george feltenstein and moved the Warner Archive to Amazon to manage. Mm-hmm. That was the end of it. Warner Brothers, or Amazon went through and purged all their um, their DVDR vendors that, that, that they were touting on a regular basis. They just purged all them. They just all disappeared. And you have to you have to work to find a Warner Archive title on Amazon now. Um, and they're the the front load. You have uh, Sony had their own, Universal had their own, MGM had their own, um, uh, Fox, Fox is gone. Um, it, 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 they're not doing anything with it anymore. And it's um, maybe because they just think that there's 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 no money in it because nobody's doing it. But they're they're completely unaware that there <laughs> that there are people doing it. Are, do you think any of these companies are too big to fail? Do we live in a world where a Disney might go under or a? I mean, I look at what happened with Fox. I look at MGM, right? I'm like, there's less companies on the t- now than there were ten years well, ago. If you go down to studios, uh, Paramount and 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 Universal need to have sort of a reality check and, and, and maintaining pace with, with some of their better, well-heeled competitors. Uh, Lionsgate is being pretty good about trying to get out from under that debt that they, when they bought stars Um, and they've been very cautious. It helps that you get a, a John wick, but they take all the platforms anywhere. You can make money. Lionsgate put, puts it there. Um, Sony's kind of stated off to the side, uh, which begs the question, why do you need Hollywood anymore? If all you're going to do is produce a film and and sell it to somebody else to stream, um, there'll be, cause I I would suspect he thought it's going to be, there's going to be consolidation. Mm -hmm. Uh, we're not going to have 50 different streaming platforms all doing the same thing. Um, Somebody's going to try. One of them is going to try to replace Netflix. Uh, I mean, Ted's Ted's paying himself a million dollars a week, and he's going to continue to do that until they figure out a way to put him out of business. <laughs> so, um, I consolidation is a simple answer. Yeah. What um, about? Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask. So that was one path I wanted to know about the studios and streaming. Now, what do you see the future for? For, for home media, because if what, when I hear this conversation that we've just had, when I think about it, you're telling me that what the studios release with all the product that's come out since the pandemic, these thousands of releases every year, that that's just a drop in the bucket. I'm like, well, is this the fire sale before everything's gone or is it just going to continue? 
I it, it's like uh, I remember when um, uh, LPs were eliminated, vinyl, and then all of a sudden vinyl is back. Mm-hmm. And then I remember when I used to have regular conversations with with my friends over at Eagle Rock. Uh, CD was CD, you know, physical media, uh, uh, you know, these. Yeah, that was going to go away. Uh, and then uh, it, it's still back. I mean, go over to MVD's uh, site and look at look at what they have each month for new new cds um their catalog is like 48 pages every single i know it's it's insane yeah and that's just the new stuff and that that's just the their partner labels the ones that ones that work through them so there's that's a whole different business so but they're akin i think the consumers like having the physical media they 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 find some of these uh Netflix and, and Amazon Prime sites difficult to to uh, negotiate. They can't find what they want in terms of things that they might actually like. Uh, they just find lots of new things that I mean. Netflix pick, picks up these European, uh, Polish, and German things and yeah. then dubs them into English, and you, you're you're watching about thirty five seconds of it, and you go like, "This is just absolute crap," <laughs> and um, but it's content. Oh, but they've content. been selling. Yeah, they they market yeah. it as, as being uh, this brand new uh, spy CIA spy thriller. It's just, mm-hmm. just nonsense. So, um, <laughs> but I I don't see physical media going away at all. And I, I I think what a rational approach, and that's what Sony is kind of doing right now, um, would be to go back to the suit business, uh, promo better best you you uh the best is where you control everything and that's it theatrically you sell one admission they see one movie they don't own it they don't they don't they they just take the memory home with them the next step would be fiscal media where you're you own the product you're selling them and it's you know that unless they share it with their neighbor or their relative it's pretty much one house what for that product um then you can get into all the other things whether it's streaming cable what whatever however you network tv you know i mean there's there's a whole whole network out there called you know the hallmark channel life lifetime channel movies that my wife will put on sometimes where uh, the movie runs 84 minutes, but it takes two and a half hours to, to get through because it's got one commercial after another yeah. in it. That There's... movie Weird, the Al Yankovic story, was a Roku movie, right? And it took it's like an, an hour and 45 minutes or something like that. But it's like a two and a half hour watch because it's just, you have to watch the Roku commercials, <laughs> the Roku channel commercials, yeah. Well, they, they uh, there's there's one, uh, one, um, very clever helper that is taking all these <coughs> hallmark movies as they're being broadcast for the first time editing out all the commercials and putting it on dvd <laughs> literally within a day of its first broadcast wow and and if you look at the fact that he keeps or she i think it's a woman that's actually running this company out of las vegas uh has 
keeps adding and adding and the number keeps going up and up and up, which means they're successful because unless she's independently wealthy and willing to lose all the money in the world just to fulfill mm -hmm. her fantasy of putting Hallmark movies on DVD, uh, she's got to be making money at it. Yeah. So uh, you just look at the, you, what you do is you look at the numbers and you don't have to know what's going on. You just know something's happening. And uh, the, the studios cannot continue to lose the kind of money they're losing and see their stock values erode. I mean, Disney's down like 16, 18 billion dollars in, in stock value here in the, in the last uh, uh, 30 days. And it has nothing to do with their, their stupid uh, political battles with Florida. It all has to do with the, the the numbers that they reported out it's it's it, at some point when the stock gets down to, from 92 today i guess it is down to 68 and then 55 and then 42 at some point they're going to say stop you got you got to do something different mm -hmm. um i i think that that's the the, the near-term trend um uh, in the long term, we're all dead. In, in the near term, I think uh, over the next five years, you, you, you're going to see some consolidation. I think you're going to see a return to kind of a, rash, a rational approach to managing assets. Uh, because the, the other other line of attack, the current line of attack is not, not sustainable. We've just scratched the tip of the iceberg here, but I want to remind people that they can read your report uh, weekly. You put it out weekly, right? 48 times a year. Yeah. It's, uh, Close you can to it. Yeah. Out, you can download the PDF file every week, or you can just read the. I, it's funny. Um, about 10 or 12 years ago, I, uh, I decided to repurpose all the editorial onto like a blog. And I didn't think anything of it. I just, yeah. yeah. And then I linked it to the website. And when people began to see they, one to the other, uh, I blew up my website. I literally just went out of capacity. <laughs> had this, I was down for two weeks. I had to scramble around and find a new uh, host. And fortunately, I got a host uh, here down in San Diego. It's nearby. And, and they're, they're a delight. And everything works fine now. But uh I, I did something I thought was smart to open it up to the consumer to read, you know, what was going on and stuff like that. And all I did was, was make a lot of hell for myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, it has to be a labor of love, right? Because if it looks like there's a lot of labor involved. Well, I, I, I enjoyed doing it only because I've been doing it so long. I have uh, some really nice uh, advertisers, uh, uh, sponsors. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I do it because it's i enjoy i enjoy doing it I, I and i always want to know what's over the next hill see what's coming next plus then i play bridge all the time and then um i'm working on the house and the yard and everything so it's uh i i Get i, I, I can use a couple a couple of less hours sleep and a couple more hours uh, to work but uh, you know you have to balance it out <laughs> yeah all right. Well, it's DVD and Blu-ray release report.com and it, are social media outlets you want to promote. Are you, are you uh, on any of the, you on Twitter or anything like that? Are you mostly no, no, no. I, I don't have, I, seriously, I, I really don't have the time to, I, I looked at Substack to try to do some publishing stuff, but 
Um, it's just more time. You, I, I'd rather spend it working on uh, pl playing bridge with some really cool people that I've, mm -hmm. I've gotten to know over the years. And um, which is a game that I don't know if you, if you're a, a card player, but uh, it, it it's like uh, Texas Hold'em on steroids. It's, it's, and, and there's some, some players that are just so scary good. Yeah. I mean, just Mark Itabashi uh, is like a legend. I mean, he's, he's just genius level. Um, Bill Gates is, is a avid bridge player. Uh, never, never got to play against him, but I got to, Got to play in a couple of national tournaments and play against some some guys that uh, you just know from the way they're holding the cards that they're just better than you. <laughs> <laughs> some people just have like this extra gene, oh, yeah. this chromosome or something. They, their brain doesn't even. It's like a computer or something. Uh, but I want to listen. I'm going to say goodbye to you after we finish recording. But I want to wrap up with you here on the record and just say thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about this. Your experience, your knowledge, uh, I really appreciate you sharing it with me. Uh, it, hey, anytime you need anything, you know where to find me. Thank you uh, very much. Well, you know, I've I've watched this episode a few times in the editing process. I'm the peek behind the scenes, so I edit the conversation before i film these introductions and the outros and stuff and i there's so much to wrap your head around here there's so much that kind of blows my mind how much helpers as mr Tribby calls it are impacting the industry or how much they're not impacting the industry i mean they're putting a lot of product out there but it doesn't really seem to be enough to get the attention of the studios because as you heard you know by the time they've hired lawyers or hired people to prosecute is it worth it uh, the idea that most of the media that is being released is coming from educational institutions and sports teams and, you know, like how to things like that, that, that really blows my mind. And that people have tapped into Blu-ray as a storage format. You know, I mean, we talk sometimes about standard definition on Blu-ray and that confuses the mainstream. Meanwhile, the helpers are using it to great effect. It's, really eye-opening to me and I, I hope that it's eye-opening to you too because there's so much I, I see a lot of you know in, in what we talk about here I get a lot of comments and a lot of feedback where opinions are just facts like well I went into Target and they only have one aisle now of media so it's dying well <laughs> this says otherwise right so uh, it's interesting to have these numbers remember you can follow uh, Mr. Tribby and his very important very well curated data 48 times a year at DVD and Blu-ray release report. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to Mr. Tribby. So thanks to you guys. Remember, please rate, review, subscribe. If you're watching this on YouTube, give us a thumbs up, leave a comment, anything you can do to engage, anything you can do to share the word. It really does help this uh, this podcast. Not to, Listen, we're not trying to crack the top 10 of iTunes here. I just want people to know this podcast exists. It does pretty well on YouTube. Podcasts are like the wild, wild west now because there are, I think there's probably about a thousand new podcasts every single week that launch. So it's hard to get noticed in the pod sphere. Anything you can do to help would be much appreciated. Guys, thank you so much. Take care. Until next time, I will catch you later.